Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. This episode is the second in a three-part series focusing on the Pine Barrens. We previously talked to Bernie Isaacson and heard him give a forester's assessment of the Pine Barrens, focusing on the flora of the area. Today, John Helferty, a supervisor of the Division of Fish and Wildlife's Endangered and Non-Game Species Program, is here to talk with us about the diverse animals that are found in the Pine Barrens. Everything from mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, and insects inhabit the pine lens. They are a part of a very rich ecosystem, and they are greatly affected not only by the region's climate and the environmental conditions in the area, but also how the pine barrens are used by us humans. So I want to thank John for taking time out to be here with us today to talk about the fauna of the forest. Thank you, John. Pleasure, Bob. Thanks for inviting me over. John, let's start talking a little bit about how many different species of animals are found in the pine barrens, excluding human beings. Excluding human beings. There's a lot of them. It's an interesting question. There's also a ridiculously large number of animals. I couldn't put a a specific number on it. There's so many. There's hundreds of insects alone, for example, in most of our ecosystems in New Jersey, and the pine barrens are certainly no exception. I could characterize programs concerns about species by sort of answering that question a bit in reverse in that there are at least 45 threatened or endangered species, wildlife species that have a specific conservation concern that the department associates with them. Endangered species being species that are in imminent peril of extirpation or uh, disappearing from the state, and threatened species being species that are in danger of becoming endangered at some point in the future. And so there's at least 45 species that are highly visible on our radar screen in terms of species that have a specific state listing. There's over 250 overall that we consider to be species of greatest conservation need, which expand beyond threatened or endangered species a little bit and include species for which New Jersey perhaps has a greater than average responsibility to uh, preserve in the Northeast, for example. That would include species that other conservation organizations like the Xerces Society, which focuses on insect conservation. They have prioritized lists of species that they track that they believe have a significant level of um, concern, conservation concern. The Pine Barrens is such a unique and such a rich ecosystem, as you implied in your opening statement, that there's definitely a large volume of animals that call it home and require it to maintain a healthy uh, area for them to thrive. So of the 45 or so species that you mentioned are either threatened or endangered, can you give us an example of some of them? And it's probably a a pretty wide range, too. Yeah, it is a range, and it certainly spans all of the taxa. don't think there's 
many mammals that are coming up on the list. I think we have bobcat in the Pine Barrens now, but they're few and far between. So most of the species are avian species. And as is typical of most avian species, it's a highly mobile taxa. They can fly, you know, wherever they want. They're not really uh, limited in terms of their mobility. So, so are these birds specifically, or does it include flying insects when you talk about avian species? Nope, sorry. To, to uh, be clear, we're talking just about birds now. And many of the bird species that are included in, in those 45 uh, state-listed species species that are representative from the Pine Barrens occur elsewhere in the state as well. They're not endemic just to the Pinelands. So avian species are not necessarily the poster child for, uh, you know, the poster species for the Pine Barrens. What I picture as being more of the uh, really representative species for the Pine Barrens would be things like northern pine snake, corn snake, both highly imperiled reptile species. And uh, neither one of them venomous, right? Uh, neither one of them are venomous. We do have timber rattlesnakes, and that's an interesting situation in that we have timber rattlesnakes that occur in the Pine Barrens that are the exact same species as uh, the timber rattlesnakes that occur in northern New Jersey. However, the, the population in the in the Pine Barrens has significantly different life history, specifically hibernation uh, habitat use, that they initially had studied whether it was a completely different species or maybe even a subspecies. Turns out it's not. It's the exact same animal. But up north, timber rattlesnakes hibernate in rocky crevices underground. And in the Pine Barrens, they actually hibernate underneath stream banks. They actually go underwater to get to cavities up above the water level in the stream banks where they hibernate. Of course, you'd be hard-pressed if you were a timber rattler to find a lot of rocky crevices in the Pine Barrens. So That's exactly, pretty well they had the to evolve. Exactly, yeah. they had to evolve with a completely different MO for hibernating, and uh, it has worked out for them, and they have thrived. There's also a number of amphibians that are characteristic of the Pine Barrens. The aptly named Pine Barrens tree frog is uh, range-limited only to the, to the Pine Barrens. We would call that an endemic species to the Pine Barrens. Eastern tiger salamander, perhaps our most imperiled amphibian species, occurs in the southern end of the Pine Barrens, and then species like southern gray tree frog uh, occur throughout the uh, southern end of the Pine Barrens. Then there is a lot of invertebrate species as well, and, and by invertebrates I'm being specific to insects, bee species, uh, lepidoptera, moths, butterflies, uh, a lot of endangered or threatened species in those tanks that also occur in the Pine Barrens. And are any of those threatened and endangered species exclusive just to the Pine Barrens? Or uh, do all of them have habitats elsewhere and we're concerned about their continued existence in the Pine Barrens itself? It straddles both, Bob. It's a very good question and a, and a good distinction to make. In cases like the Pine Barrens tree frog, Arago skipper, which is a butterfly, corn snake is another one. Those are species that I think you could suggest are endemic to the Pine Barrens, do not occur outside of that geographic area. Other species certainly range statewide, but because, as I suspect we will discuss imminently, because the Pine Barrens represent such a unique preserved core area forests in New Jersey compared to other portions of the state. It has a good refuge for populations that may be imperiled statewide. They can have a stronghold sort of in the Pine Barrens, and, and that may be in part why they're doing as well, even though if they're listed, they're not doing great, that the, the Pine Barrens may be sort of acting as a refuge where they can have a stronghold there and, and hopefully be a little reservoir where we know that they'll remain secure there, even if they're more imperiled elsewhere. Sure, because there are far less intrusions on their habitat in the Pine Barrens because of the protection that is afforded to the area. There are. The Pine Barrens are not without their risks to species that are imperiled, but that's the big one. Habitat loss and, and the ability to have such a large area of the Pine Barrens preserved is a huge benefit to species that are typically habitat limited or threatened by habitat loss.
I have mentioned on other broadcasts that I have spent a fair amount of time in the days of my youth canoeing in the Pine Barrens. I was in the Explorer Scouts, and our post had a habit every year in the spring before all the bugs came out of doing a three-day, two-night canoe trip down the Wading River. And got to that was the first time really as a young man that I had the chance to come in contact with the Pine Barrens, and I've had a lifelong love for the area ever since, not just because of the memories you make as a kid with your fellow scouts and everything, enjoying a, a great trip, but because of how unique the area is, it's like nothing you really see anywhere else in New Jersey. And you bring up canoeing, it's an excellent example of a way to observe wildlife because it really does get you places that no other venue will will get you there. There are rare instances, some boardwalks perhaps that go through wetland areas, some trails that may parallel or, or even cross a stream, but there's nothing like being in a canoe and truly being immersed in the habitats that many of these species call home and and require. And when you are canoeing through the Pine Barrens, you are experiencing those core areas where it's pretty clear that you're in the middle of wilderness and you can get what makes those areas so important to wildlife because you're not seeing any of the downside. It's the good stuff. I will say that uh, we always tried our best not to become literally immersed (laughs) Uh, in the river uh, because it was very cold in the beginning of April. But it is true, the variety of birds and occasionally you'd see a snake and you'd see salamanders and and things like that. Uh, We were usually out there before the insects uh, took over, uh, which made for a much more pleasant trip. But it was quite a variety of uh, fauna that one would see out there on this trip. And it was just, it was really thrilling particularly for suburban kids who were used to blue jays and robins and sparrows. You see birds and other creatures that we would never see back in our backyards. Pretty neat. How have the endangered and threatened animals done in recent years? Are they making a comeback? Are they still under threat? Is it status quo? What's going on with those species? Well, in my line of work, uh, if you could put it that way, the endangered and threatened species protection business, if it were a business, there aren't a lot of Super happy stories. It's uh, a lot of trying to keep bad things from happening. And if you can keep species on a level plane and not see them get worse, largely for a lot of species that constitutes success. Success isn't often measured in complete rebounds partly because it takes a lot of time to reverse some of these trends. And so you don't often see species making dramatic recoveries when they're threatened or endangered. What you like to see is our ability to take whatever actions might be necessary to stabilize populations that are declining, to identify the reasons that species are imperiled and do what you can, whether that's regulating habitat loss or controlling pollution or managing ecosystems, even though they're preserved, that benign neglect is not necessarily the be-all and the end-all. You have to manage ecosystems as well. I think Bernie touched on that when he was doing the forestry in the talk and and mentioned stuff in the Pine Barrens. It's a situation where if you can keep some of those things going in, in a positive direction, you can see over time species either maintaining their populations or making slight improvements. Hopefully, we're not seeing uh, species decline. That's one of the things that I think it's important to remember. A species can decline in a relatively short period of time based either on environmental factors, development factors, other things like that. But seeing them rebound takes much longer than it does for them to decline. And that requires a little bit of patience on behalf of our stakeholders to recognize the fact that 
success is not going to be instantaneous, even though we're working as hard as we can to try to make that uh, happen. Now, there are certainly success stories. One of the best examples in New Jersey is Bald Eagle. Mm -hmm. Kathy Clark, who I know has been in and has done a podcast with you, discussed how Bald Eagle has made such a dramatic recovery. And again, that was because we had a very... I don't want to oversimplify that situation, but there was a very finite problem there, which was pollution and, and DDD in particular that was having an impact on egg fragility. And by addressing that, it was almost a, a silver bullet where if you address that problem, the species could in fact make a, a dramatic recovery. And, and dramatic there means 30 years. I mean, it took a long time. That's yeah. drama. <laughs> that's a dramatic recovery, a 30-year process. That's that's not what people often imply as success, but yeah. sometimes it takes that long. Generation and a half in human terms. And I'll never forget Kathy telling us about the person climbing up the tree with the wooden eagle egg and replacing the eggs and then taking them to be uh, incubated and hatched by what she described as a very light chicken uh, and then replacing the the uh, eaglets in the nest and, and how they took off. And now we're down, we were down to only one or two nesting pairs, I think, in 1970, and now we're up over 150 nesting pairs in the state of New Jersey. That is correct. And we have a link to that podcast in the description of those podcasts if folks want to go and hear more about the amazing success with the return of the bald eagles. If people want to go down to the Pine Barrens and see some of the some of the animals and the creatures for themselves, are there designated areas where they can go? What, what do you suggest people do when they go in in search of some of the uh, incredibly interesting creatures that are in the Pine Barrens? Well, this is clearly one of the benefits of the fact that so much of the Pine Barrens have been preserved. I think 20% of New Jersey constitutes preserved lands that in one form or another constitute what we call the Pine Barrens. Much of that is protected and, and overseen by the Pinelands Commission. The state of New Jersey also has a lot of holdings in there as well, and that would be where people can take advantage of opportunities to, to see wildlife. So areas, for example, like Wharton State Forest or Bass River State Forest or Brendan D. Byrne State Forest offer a multitude of opportunities to get into these environments and, and see what's cooking, whether you're bird watching or looking for moths or butterflies, lepidoptera or looking for frogs or snakes. Um, there's all kinds of opportunities. Batstow at Zion Lake has a wonderful nature area, which has a lot of signage and goes through a number of different habitat types from the lake itself to wetlands to upland pine, drier pine areas, pine barren areas. There's also a number of properties managed by nonprofit organizations, such as the New Jersey Conservation Foundation. Franklin Parker Preserve comes to mind as a great opportunity where people can go to observe wildlife. And certainly, my division of Fish and Wildlife manages a number of wildlife management areas where you can also have abundant opportunities. There's all kinds of trails. One of my favorite ways would be one you already mentioned, rent a canoe, rent a canoe or, or yeah. put your own canoe in and, and go for a paddle. An amazing way to experience some of the, the fauna that call the Pine Barrens home. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's something that I think once you do it, you never forget. And I know in terms of the Wading River, you know, it's called the Wading River because it's only deep enough that you could literally wade down the entire thing. Uh, or pretty much the entire thing. Uh, so even if you're a novice canoeist, it's not something you have to worry about uh, taking on because it's there's uh, no class very, four rapids. No, it's a very navigable, <laughs> uh, a very navigable river. There's no doubt about that. So what can you? What do you suggest people do when they go into the Pine Barrens to be respectful of the fauna that is there and to make sure that while they're enjoying the beauty of the nature of of the Pine Barrens, that they're not doing any damage unintentionally. That's a good question because there's such a thing as loving an area to death in some cases. And part of that is managed by the Division of Parks and Forestry themselves in that 
they focus camping areas to specific areas. They focus high-use areas to specific areas. And other areas are left more undisturbed. And so it's completely appropriate to have high-use areas, and that's a great way for members of the public to get in and enjoy these areas. It's also appropriate to try to maintain lesser-used areas where natural conditions are largely allowed to prevail. And so if you're enjoying those types of areas, it's important to remember to stay on trails that are designated. It's important to remember that you should, as they say, take only pictures and leave only footprints. Mm-hmm. Collection is actually a, a big problem for some of our state-listed species, particularly snake species. And so it's important to remember that even if you were sort of innocently thinking that you could take something home and have it as a pet and, and it's not more nefarious for a pet trade or for, for a profit reason, collection of female reptiles in particular who tend to be long-lived is a problem because when you remove a reproductive female from the ecosystem prematurely, and do not allow her to use her entire lifespan to reproduce, you're significantly curtailing the number of offspring that she would have otherwise contributed to that ecosystem. So collection of reptiles is a significant problem, and snakes in the Pine Barrens in particular have been perceived as being attractive uh, to collectors. So that's an issue. Spread of disease you wouldn't think of necessarily as being something that uh, the public might be involved with, but it, it can be a thing. Uh, citrid fungus, when you're going from one ponded area to another, can have a, a dramatic effect on amphibian mortality. And as an analogy, it's it's not unlike how white nose disease was spread among uh, the bats. Among the bats, yeah. spelunkers innocently and and with no ill intent went into a cave in Albany, New York, and unfortunately had fungus spores from we believe a, a European origin, and unknowingly transferred that into a cave, and and the rest is kind of history. We've Mm. lost up to 95, in some cases over 95% of our hybridating bat populations in this region because of a fungus that was spread by a recreational user. And so it's perhaps a dramatic analogy, but it's an example of how even recreational use can spread disease. They can spread invasive species. People that are using vehicles in, in the Pine Barrens should certainly keep those vehicles on approved surfaces, whether that be approved dirt roads or to the extent that they're authorized on trails via a special use permit to stay on those trails. If those uses are not properly regulated or or if there's abuses of those privileges, that can result not only in direct habitat destruction, but also the spread of invasive species of plants that can start destroying habitats and converting habitats. So there are definitely some things that the public can do just to try to be good stewards of the land as they visit it. And of course, we should also mention uh, responsible use of fire in the Pine Barrens. Uh, If you're at a campsite and uh, you're not supposed to have a campfire during that period because it's been dry or anything, don't think you can get away with it because fire can be a real uh, hazard in the Pine Barrens and uh, put a lot of property and a lot of fauna at risk. Fire is literally a blessing and a curse in the Pine Barrens, not disagreeing with anything you just mentioned because anthropogenically, you know, man-made or man-caused fires are are a huge problem in the Pine Barrens. And one of the reasons that the New Jersey Forest Fire Service does prescribed burns where they try to minimize the amount of fuels that might load in a forest so that you don't have man-made forest fires that would then spread and, and put public life or property in jeopardy. But having said that, the unique thing about the Pine Barrens and a very important thing that we as managers of the Pine Barrens and and managers of wildlife habitats in the Pine Barrens need to remember is that historically the Pine Barrens were a fire-managed ecology. It was natural fire. It was fire caused by lightning. It was fire in some cases caused by uh, indigenous populations, uh, Lenape or, or whomever, and it really shaped 
how the Pine Barrens ecosystem evolved and shaped the types of habitats that were therefore made available to wildlife. And so, for example, when you did have natural wildfires burning very hot, wildfires burning through the Pine Barrens, and, and you did not have development uh, that was a concern for life or, or property, that resulted in certain forest characteristics which had very open canopies. Well, that's very good for basking snakes. Now that we are more concerned about wildfires and, in fact, are preventing wildfires from happening, what we find as an unfortunate uh, side effect, public health, safety, and welfare is, is much improved, obviously, but as an unfortunate side effect, we have forest communities that are they're changing is mm. the simplest way to put it. And they're changing in ways that are not beneficial to the species that required and evolved under those fire-managed earlier conditions. So yeah, if you're a cold-blooded snake, you need to be able to... Uh, Lying on places where you're getting the sun. <laughs> you do. And that's one of the big problems with uh, pinelet snakes, including the corn snakes, the pine snakes, and the timber rattlesnakes. Uh, there's one animal that we have not discussed, and that, of course, is the Jersey Devil. And we will cover that in our next episode when we talk with Tom Gerber about the history and the legends of the pine land. But for today, I want to thank John Helferty very much for all of the information he provided about the fauna in the Pine Barrens. Uh, it's a very rich and diverse ecosystem, a really special place here in the state of New Jersey that is protected and managed by folks here at DEP to make sure that in the generations to come, this very special and unique place continues to be a real treasure and an asset for the people of the state of New Jersey and all those who travel from around the country and around the world to see this very unique spot right here in the Garden State. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it and uh, wish you continued good luck with all the work that you and your colleagues are doing in the Endangered and Non-Game Species Program in our Division of Fish and Wildlife. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you having us over here and helping us get the word out. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.